Hello and welcome to the The Simpy Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Dusenberry Jr. Follow me on what is now without a shadow of a doubt, the Elon app at The Simpy. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. Podcast It's also up there at The Simpy Podcast, all one word. If you're not down with the Elon app, I get it. You can follow along at the Zuckerberg app or the China app. Subscribe and rate to the podcast. Five stars, nonetheless, tell a friend. Podcast is available on all major podcasts and platforms, including the Purple app and the Rogan app. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up thesamd.com. Really trying to get the YouTube thing going, getting some good results there. So let's go ahead and subscribe, like, comment if you're already on YouTube. If you're not on YouTube, the link for the YouTube is in the podcast description. Musical production done by May First Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash Music. Oh, Elon got them blue check boys and girls in a frenzy. <laughs> oh, man. Man's pulled up. He brought the N-word back. That's back. The N-word apparently is back on the Elon app. It's up 500%. And he's also now trying to charge blue check boys and girls to keep that elusive, that mystical, magical blue check. Elon is not for play play. He really got them upset. They were on the timeline last night at the announcement of you're going to have to pay $20, $20 a month to keep that blue check, that mystical, magical blue check that they all have been waiting for to get to validate their existence on social media. Like, it is amazing to me that they're upset about the fact that they have to pay to keep their blue check when a lot of them pay to get that blue check in the first place. Like, who are they fooling? I've been in this media game way too long. I know the majority of them have to pay for that blue check. But the notion of paying for a blue check, it's like NIL in college sports. Like, yeah, we're now going to say the quiet thing out loud and let's just be transparent. College athletes have been paid for years, decades decades now we're going to have social media people paying to keep their blue checks because they've been paying for it already for years so i find it hilarious that people are now on the elon app and they're up in arms over the fact that they have to pay you've been paid if not you your manager your agent whoever your social media team whoever went and colluded with the powers that be to get you that blue check now you got to pay to keep it you ain't fooling nobody. You ain't fooling nobody. Blue check boys. Please. I know I should probably start with the Nigerian freak Giannis Antetokounmpo, but I can't do that. I have to start with the Cleveland Cavaliers because Donovan Spider Mitchell has taken a step. Okay? He has dropped 30 pieces, at least a 30 piece, in all but one game so far through six games. They are 5-1. and one. They're doing this without Darius Garland. Okay? The land in sex land from a couple of years ago. This is now believe land again. Do you believe in the Cleveland Cavaliers? Because Spider Mitchell is not for play play. He is out here doing it in a major way and he's doing it against the Knicks. And you know, as chief Nick hater number one, I absolutely love the fact that he is putting up a 38 piece on the meniscus tearing taskmaster, AKA Tom Thibodeau. You know, I'm loving that. So 38 points, eight threes, 
11 assists. 11 assists. That's what I want to talk about. The 11 assists. If he's going to facilitate like that, because we know he's a bucket. He's a proven bona fide bucket. Donovan Mitchell was put on this earth to score. Okay, so he does that. He can wake up every morning and know I'm getting 30. Okay, but what else am I going to do to help my team win? And that's when you take that step, when you reach that level. And I've spoken about that recently about John Morant in regards to he wakes up every day knowing I'm giving I'm going to get my 25 easy 25, probably easy 30 now. But what else can I do to help my team win? Who else? Who do I need to get involved to help my team win? And we're seeing that with Donovan Mitchell. He's waking up saying, I'm a 30 piece. I wake up every day knowing I can walk on a NBA basketball court and get 30. But what else can I do? And that's how you get the 11 assists. How many rebounds did he have? Let me go to the phone and check this out. He has some, he has some boards too. A couple of boards, three rebounds, a steal, two blocks. He had one on a transition fast break that was pretty dope too. So eight threes, 11 assists, three rebounds, one steal, two blocks. He is doing a little bit of everything to put this team in position to win because, you know, I'll give Nick's tape a little bit of credit. They were in the game and they were up. And then a huge fourth quarter run got, you know, the Knicks up out of here and the Cavs went on to get five and one, move on to five and one. So the Cavs are now five and one. They are first in net rating. Now, I'm not a big analytics guy. I'll tell you that up front. I'm more of an eye test over analytics, but there are some advanced metrics that are useful. To me, net rating is not one of them, but we can go on to some that I do think matter. So they're third in defense, sixth in offense, and they are first in three-point percentage. Now, that's something with Donovan. You know the shots are going to go up in abundance. He's a very much a volume shooter, but he's becoming way more proficient. Again, if he's now taking the step where I'm a 30 piece, now I can also give you 11 dimes, but now I can shoot so good now from three that I can give you, what was he, eight for 13? Let me go to the phone again, pull this up. He was eight for 13 from three. Trust your memory, kids. He was eight for 13 from three. That is something where if he's going to do that, and again, this is without Darius Garland who's another dude that can give you similar production. How do you stop the Cleveland Cavaliers? I'm asking you a legitimate question. If Donovan Mitchell's going to play like this, now again, is he going to average 30 the whole year? In today's NBA, where defense is not really abundant, it's possible. I'm telling you, it's more predicated to guards like Donovan Mitchell than it is to bigs like Victor Webin. I, I, whatever. Anywho. We have to take this team way more seriously, okay? Because if we project this going forward, and again, small sample size, but this is a roster that unless they get hit with injuries, who has, a, who has more talent? Or who has a roster that can actually stop what they're trying to do? If Garland and Spider are going crazy, and then you have Mobley and Jared Allen down low, and then you have Levert just hovering around the wings, and then they're dusting off Kevin Love, and he's bombs away. And Okoro's coming in as a 3 and D guy, more so D than 3, pause. But if he comes in and he's doing what he's supposed to do, and they have other ancillary pieces around it, that roster is going to be tough to deal with in May and June. Like, legitimately. And that's why you give up what they gave up to go get a Spider Mitchell. And that's why the Knicks should have thought about R.J. Barrett in that deal. I know they were like, no, we don't want to give up R.J. Well, I mean, would you rather have R.J. right now? Or Donovan? <laughs> anyway, so... This is what it's going to look like come May and June. 
Who's going to have the type of guards to defend Mitchell and Garland? Who's going to have the type of bigs to guard Mobley and Jared Allen? Who's going to have the versatility in the wings to maybe stop Karis LeVert? Now, he only gave you, what, one point against the Knicks tape, but he dropped 41 the night before. Like, so that's what I'm saying. Like, there's versatility all over this Cleveland Cavalier roster. We need to take them serious. We need to take them serious because if you look at down, if you look at the Eastern Conference outside of the Bucks, the Bucks are the Bucks are still undefeated, and they're undefeated without Chris Middleton. Okay, they're undefeated without Chris Middleton, and Giannis. I don't know if he's taken a step. Everyone keeps wanting me to jump out there and say like, "Yo, Sam, it's time to admit Giannis is the best in the league." I'm like, slow down. We'll get there. When we get there, I'll proclaim it. I'm close to proclaiming it, but I'm not ready yet. But you know, obviously, he's taken minor steps, and it's hard to imagine him taking another large step. But I mean, undefeated without Chris Middleton, and they've beaten noteworthy teams. It's not like they're going out, going out there beating up on bottom feeders. So the Bucks are still the Bucks. They're clearly clearly the class of the Eastern Conference. But that second that second tier, it has to be the Cavs. It has to be. If I'm the Cleveland Cavaliers, I'm not too concerned with anyone outside the Bucs right now. Because, yeah, you got the Celtics right there. Atlanta's played okay so far. And, you know, you would assume Philly's going to make a run at some point. But if I'm the Cavs, I'm chilling. It's me and the Bucs. Like, I would have never thought after that Spider Mitchell trade won that he would take a step. I thought we were pretty much, he had stopped peaking. Which was still really good. But if he's going to be facilitating like this... If he's going to shoot threes like this, that's taking a step, okay? But I just felt like, all right, that's, they got a roster full of just good-ass players. Just a roster full of good-ass players. Like, this is giving me, and walk, walk with me, this is giving me Pistons vibes. The Chauncey Rashid vibe. Like, this is giving me that type of vibes where it's not, you don't have no clear cut, I have a top five player, because that's usually what wins in the NBA. You need a top five player in the league to win an NBA championship normally. But then you have the anomaly years and the Pistons, to my memory, is the last team that won an NBA championship that had a guy that was not a top five or even a top 10 player as their lead dog in Chauncey Billups. So it's looking like that again, because would you consider Donovan Mitchell to be a top 10 player? He's certainly not top five, but is he top 10? I don't, I would not consider him to be that, but if he's going to keep hooping like this, Dropping 30-plus, shooting 8 for 13, giving me 11 dimes. If he's going to keep doing that, then maybe he is top 10. But coming into this season, I didn't think Donovan Mitchell was top 10. So if Cleveland's going to keep playing like this, if the, if the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to have a roster full of dudes, Mobley, Okoro, Jared Allen, Levert, and then Garland, and then Kevin Love, like... That's like seven dudes, seven, eight dudes. That's all you need in the playoffs because we know the rotations get shrunken. All you need is seven, eight dudes that you know you could run out there. And barring injury, the Cleveland Cavaliers have a strong-ass seven, eight dudes. Outside of the Bucks, I don't know who's got a stronger seven, eight-man rotation come playoff time in the Eastern Conference. Are they load managing Kawhi Leonard again? Like, I don't know what's going on. With Balmer and them, Lawrence Frank and them, Tyrone Lue and them. But Kawhi Leonard has only played two games out of six. I don't know what's going on with them, but they are dead last in points per game. 
They are next to last in offensive rating, and they are second to last in net rating. So I don't know what you make of that, but in essence, they can't score, bro. They have no cohesion on offense, and Tyrone Liu is a really good coach in terms of X's and O's and inbounds plays specifically. But for some reason, and again, it's early, small sample size, but six games in, the Clippers are looking really trash out here. And that brings me to the Western Conference as a whole. And they lost to the Pelicans yesterday, but they lost to the Pelicans and the Pels didn't even have Brandon Ingram, their best player. So they may have been, the Clippers may have been missing their best player, but they couldn't beat the Pels without their best player in Young Reaper, Brandon Ingram. So what is Pandemic P doing? Like, I don't understand. Like, this is the time where he needs to show that he is him. He keeps wanting us to think he is him. He's been dying to tell us and show us that he's been him ever since he was a pacer. Like, he's been thinking he's of that cloth, that LeBron upper tier cloth for a while now. And he's had moments. And he's battled adversity. I mean, broke his damn leg, hooping for USA, Team USA. But we get all that. And he battled back from that. But... I mean, playoff P, a.k.a. Pandemic P, has really, really been mid, like, in terms of what his expected outcome and production is supposed to be, he's been mid. Like, the Clippers were a lot of sports books' favorite to win the championship. And those odds have diminished a little bit, but I think they're just big on the fact that they're going to get Kawhi at some point. And we know what the board man does. The board man cometh, W's cometh with that. But I don't know. Because when you look at the Western Conference, there's a few teams that are near the top of the Western Conference that you're just going to assume won't be there come May and June. But I don't know, because the West is wide open. Like I tried to explain on the last podcast, I don't think the West is that strong this year. Like the West to me is way down, way down. All the real, the NBA champion is going to come out the Eastern Conference. I firmly believe that. I could be wrong on that. Y'all can clip this and throw it back in my face, pause if that doesn't happen, but I think the NBA champion is coming out the Eastern Conference this year. But when you look at the West, I mean, pull this up. You have the Suns at the top, and you know how I feel about the Suns. They had the point fraud, as long as you had the point fraud, even though Devin Booker has taken a step, in my opinion. The whole thing with him and Clay, that to me was a good thing for D-Book. That to me let me know that D-Book has that energy, he has that fierceness, that tenacity that I thought at times didn't really like present itself last season, especially in the playoffs. So if he's on that type of time, if he has to, if he needed to take that L, if the Phoenix Suns needed to get blown out at the crib in game seven, the way that they did last year by the hands of the Mavericks, if it took that and possibly breaking, making up to break up with, you know, his, his John Kendall Jenner, if it took all of that to put a chip on his shoulder, then so be it. Because he's come out the gate hooping in a major way. So I'm here for D-Book being fierce and trying to lock it on defense. Because D-Book is not trash on defense. Like, don't get that twisted. He's a bucket. He could always score. But he's a guy that's done a little bit of everything while, while in Phoenix. He's been the point guard there. He's been the number one guy. He has at times shared that number one role with people. Like, he's done a little bit of everything as a Phoenix Sun. So he can now... I think take another step and it's looking so far that he's taking that step. But as long as you had that point fraud there, you know, the basketball guys don't like ugly and the basketball guys damn sure don't like no point fraud. But Portland, let's talk about Portland and something that I'm seeing. They have the Spurs right behind them. Now we talked about the jazz. Now the jazz, a jazz is still there at five and two. 
We talked about them last week being 3-0 and and how the Scamadamdea have fooled us again. And then we'll put the video, the link to the video in the podcast description. Um, but when it comes right down to the Portland Trail Blazers, they got rid of C.J. McCollum. People thought, oh, they're going to blow it up. And there were even rumors about Dame and Dame and LeBron had a little summer league thing, but they were being a little bit too buddy-buddy. And I was like, oh, man, if Dame go to the Lakers, Joe, it's a wrap. But ultimately... He re-ups, gets the humongous max of max, the super maxiest of max bags to stay in Portland. And now it's come down to, well, who's going to come there to come help you, Dane? Who's going to come there to come help you? Who's going to be your sidekick because they got rid of C.J. McCollum? Well, little did we know. And maybe Portland knew it. Maybe that's why they did this. Anthony Simon said, oh, I'm here. I'm here. And I'm better than C.J. <laughs> I'm better than CJ too while you're at it. And while that second part may not be the case or remains to be seen, Anthony Simons has definitely stepped up and like, I could be number two. I could be definitely number two here because if CJ could do it, I know damn sure I could do it. And they look pretty good. And even when they didn't have Dame for, I forget which game that was last week, you know, Anthony Simons carried that team to a dub. So the Portland Trailblazers, they've always had the roster. The role players... And like the mid, second, third tier guys have always been there. It's just a matter of one is Dame healthy, and two, can his second guy be good enough? And that time, CJ McCollum was not good enough to be that guy to help Dame get a chip. Like you saw how when Giannis, the Nigerian freak, Antetokounmpo, won that championship in Milwaukee, he had to have Chris Middleton be that second guy, that dependable second guy. And if not him, then even Drew Holiday at times either through his defense or just his facilitating, was that second guy. C.J. McCollum, at times, even though the Blazers made it to a Western Conference Finals once, that was a fraudulent run, at times, throughout his Portland tenure, C.J. was never the second guy, in my opinion. He was never a good enough second guy to get Dane where he needed to be. Is Anthony Simons good enough to get Dane where he needs to be? Is he a good enough two to get Damian Lillard where he needs to be? Now, he has the same type of size as C.J. McCollum. He's, he has way more bounce, way more athleticism than C.J., and he's becoming a proficient scorer. And that's what Dame needs, because a lot of times Dame's going to get double. He's going to get trapped. The guys are going to be always paying attention to Dame. And while, and while Logo Lillard is still a thing, there's going to be nights where he's going to be going up against upper top-tier defenses, and they're going to be all locked in on him. So that second guy needs to be able to take over. That second guy needs to be able to punish Defenses, And I got way more confidence right now in Anthony Simons than I ever did in C.J. McCollum in Portland. And after the Blazers in the West, let's move on down to the three spot and we got the Spurs. The Spurs are five and two. And they're doing it a lot with Keldon Johnson. And some of you casuals might not know Keldon Johnson, but Keldon Johnson has been steadily climbing up that Spurs death chart. And not only the Spurs death chart, but he's been getting shots and minutes and now that they flipped DeJounte Murray out of there, they've kind of handed the keys to Keldon Johnson, and he's hooping. 23, 24 a night, he's become the guy in, in, in San Antonio. And this is something I want to talk about in regards to when a team realizes, hey, we have a star, but we have a younger guy, a cheaper guy, who's essentially the same as our star. What if we just flip the star and give the youngin, who's like 
in theory, a bootleg version of the star, a chance to run. And I just talked about where Anthony Simons looks the part like CJ, plays the part like CJ, and he's exceedingly playing better than CJ. So, oh yeah, we could flip him to Nola. Go ahead. We, we, we go ahead and move on from that because we, we got as far as we could with CJ as our number two. Let's see how far we could get with Anthony Simons as our number two. The Spurs are doing a little bit different. Now, we know the Spurs don't want to be five and two. We know the Spurs want to be in that Victor Webinyama sweepstakes at some point. But for right now, DeJounte Murray, we have maybe a bootleg version of it in Keldon Johnson. Oh, yeah, we'll go ahead and flip DeJounte. We'll go ahead and collect some draft collateral and just go ahead and give Keldon Johnson the keys and see how far he can take it. Five and two. Five and two. And again, this is why, to me, the West is not as strong. This is why I feel like the champion, unless the Warriors, and the Warriors are still the Dubs, the Dubs still the Dubs, right? But when it comes right down to it, like, can the Warriors do it again? I'm not so sure that they can do that again, to be quite honest, because, I mean, they've come out the gates a little rocky. Steph is definitely still Steph. Wardell is being Wardell. That's not the issue. The issue is Clay's not all the way back. And the real question is, will Clay ever get back? And the answer is probably in looking more and more transparently like, no. So who's the number two now? Can A. Wiggins be the number two in the Bay when Clay is still there and people are still thinking of him as a splash brother? The greatness of Clay was that he was a splash brother and he was a lockdown defender. But as we saw the thing with him and uh, D. Buck the other night, a lot of people aren't really looking at Clay like he's him anymore. He's not giving that him aura, that him energy, like he thinks. He thinks he's still giving that off. And he's, admit, he's admitted as such. But others in the league and around the league are not really viewing Clay. They know he could get hot. He could go off. He can still have that throwback moment of 60 points on, what, 12 dribbles. He could go do that again, maybe once. Whereas... In years past, before these back-to-back-to-back horrific injuries, like, he could do that literally any night. He's capable of doing that. Now it's like, oh, maybe once a season. Maybe. Kind of, sort of. So, if, he, if he's not the number two, if Clay Thompson isn't the number two for the Golden State Warriors, then who is stepping in to be that? A. Wiggins, has he taken a step? Championship hangover? Contract hangover, Jordan Poole. We know what his offseason was like and even his training camp. But he also got a bag. Does he have that same energy? He's played well. But again, he doesn't have the same type of skill set like Clay. Like Clay, the dynamic of Clay was bombs away from three, almost as good, almost as good of a shorter like Wardell, but then he could lock up on defense and he has the size to take the other team's best guard. Steph didn't have to chase around all the best guards because they had Clay. If Clay's not Clay no more, and now you need Jordan Poole to be that guy, Jordan Poole is not the same on defense. They're not even in the same stratosphere in regards to defense. So if that's going to be the case, who's going to be the number two in Golden State? I think that's going to be something they really have to figure out and narrow down. And that's why the West, to me, is wide-ass open. It's for the taking. It really is. Like, that's why Portland, if you're Portland, if Anthony Simons could keep hooping like this, who says you can't finish, like, right where they're at right now? Who says they can't be the number two seed? Who says it? Because who else you banking on? Minnesota, the Timberwolves are already infighting. 
Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert have already gotten into it. Ant, Ant-Man doesn't know when to go off. And D'Lo, D'Angelo Russell, is he's just he's just Cat's man's. Like he really shouldn't be. He's not he's not that type of dude. Like he's not he's not top tier, but he's man's with the guy on the team. He, although you could argue that it should be Ant, Ant-Man's team and not Carl Anthony Towns' team. But as it stands right now, this is still Carl Anthony Towns' team. And Ant-Man is having to wait his turn. D'Lo is just there because Cat is there. And Rudy, Rudy's just Rudy. I mean, no one, no one, that's what the whole Tipper Wolves thing was like. Why are y'all trading for Rudy Gobert? I don't get this at all. But as we look at this Western Conference, the Nuggets, they lost to the Lake Show. So I don't know if we could take the Nuggets serious. I know Jamal Murray's still getting his bearings and same thing with MPJ, Michael Porter Jr. He's still getting his bearings. They're both coming off long injuries. I get all of that, but they still got, y'all gave the MVP to Jokic, right? Back-to-back years, right? He's trying to go for a three-peat, right? Like, he can't carry them like he's been carrying them the last two years? Dallas with Luka? I mean, y'all could fall for that if you want. I'm not going to fall for that. So, again, I'm telling you, Memphis... You know, job missing time. You're still not sure what they are. No Triple J either. So I don't know about Memphis. The Western Conference is wide open for the taking. Who's going to take it? We know Phoenix is going to be there by default, but who's going to be two and three? Portland is making a statement like we can be two. And the Spurs, who got rid of the John Tamari, but already had a bootleg one allegedly so far in Kelvin Johnson in the top. The Spurs are saying we can be right here too. And again, the Spurs are not out here beating bottom feeders. They're beating good teams. Are the Spurs for real? I'm not going to jump out there and say that they are, but I believe the Portland Trailblazers because they've always had the dudes. Nurkic has always been there. Nazil Little has slowly like developed in a positive manner over the last few years. Like they've always had dudes. Now they got Dame back and Dame healthy. Now they got Anthony Simons playing the CJ role and doing a better job of it. You still got Nurkic down low. Like, yeah, Portland is for real. Portland's legitimate. The thing is, who's going to be three to three to eight? If I had to, if I had to press you right now and say, give me a three to eight, give me a three to eight in the comments if you're on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, give me a three to eight for the Western Conference because it's wide open to me. You can put, no, it's that five, six spots. You could put about eight teams, eight, nine teams legitimately that could all fall within those six spots. You know how bad of an NBA coach you got to be to have someone do a whole ass diss track around you? Like, I don't, (laughs) Doc Rivers has a diss track. Someone took the time to go into a booth, write something, record it, mix it, master it, and put out a video all around how inept Doc Rivers is. You know how bad you gotta be as a coach to get someone to have that type of fervor, that type of energy to record a whole ass diss track around you? And this is something where, look, Sixers were 0-3 last week. I aired them out. They've been 3-1 and since. Cool, good job, guys. Great shit. But I mean, right now you're still... You're tied with the Chicago Bulls, okay? That beard of that 100 pounds can get them no further, can get them not past the Chicago Bulls who just got back Zach Levine. Good job, guys. Anyway, 
Doc Rivers, the man who traded for Pandemic P, Playoff P. And if you know the backstory of Doc Rivers, Pandemic P, and Doc Rivers' daughter. Right. So I think I was actually, wasn't that one in the title of one of my old episodes? Like, I think, yeah, I think I spoke about that in real time. I'm, I'm a, if I could find a screenshot, I'll put it up here for y'all on YouTube. But um, I think the episode was, uh, well, shit, I'll look at my own archive real quick. Hang on. Doc Rivers. Da, da, da. Doc Rivers traded for the guy that cheated on his own daughter and still lost. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing that happened. Doc Rivers, Paul George, and Doc Rivers' daughter had a relationship, and they broke up because PG was out here wowing in infidelity, running rampant, and I mean, insisting he has wife the stripper, a stripper that he tried to pay to have an abortion when they were about to. Yeah, let's just stay away. All of that's allegedly, by the way. All of that is allegedly. I try to catch no case. Allegedly, all that happened. I don't need to say anymore. But yes. Doc Rivers, think of the level you have to stoop to. How can you go home? Doc Rivers, the man who famously, or more so infamously, told Tim Duncan, your family can't be on the charter. This is that guy, that same guy. That guy had to go home and tell his wife and his daughter, I'm trading for the man to try to win a championship that cheated on you. That's something that's going to happen and did happen. And they still lost. What the fuck? What is up with sports where people will do things that go against their own family? I just told y'all last episode about Cowboys owner Jerry Jones employing the man and keeping the man on payroll who was caught on the Dallas Cowboys web stream, live stream on their own website, taking upskirt pics of his own daughter. What is going on in sports where these men have so little regard for their own daughters that they're willing to trade for the guy that cheats on them and they're willing to employ for 20 plus years a guy who is caught on video taking upskirt pics of your own daughter. Nothing warms my heart more than having statistics that show the Lions lioning. And the Detroit Lions, as a former NFC Central, now NFC North fan of the Chicago Bears, and I got off that because fandom is a mental illness. Uh, but seeing the Lions continue to lion every chance they get, and I, I saw this on Twitter last night, I think it's great. The first stat, just off rip, the Lions fired Jim Caldwell for going 36-28. and 28. Remember that? Jim Caldwell was Peyton Manning's QB coach. Peyton Manning says that a lot of his success later in his tenure, where you could, which you could argue is the peak of his Colts tenure, was attributed to Jim Caldwell, that guy who then went to Detroit to get a head coaching gig and was 36 and 28, was fired by the Lions, okay? Fired. Black head coach, Brian Flores. So Jim Caldwell fired 36 and 28. Since then, the Lions are 18, 52 and 2. 18, 52 and 2 since letting go of Jim Caldwell. And your man's Dan the Man Campbell, Man Campbell as he's known affectionately, who has flamed out in Miami, 
as an interim head coach and is now flaming out yet again as a Detroit Lions head coach, but he knows how to talk that football, religious, spirituality talk. Like he knows to say, I want men. I want tough guys. We're going to win this way. 18, 52 and two since they fired Jim Caldwell. But you don't want to blame it all on um, your man's man Campbell. I get it. I get it. So we could, we could do a full breakdown if you want. This is great. And this is why I love, I love Twitter. But since they got rid of Jim Caldwell, 1852 and two. And yes, most of that is not Man Campbell, right? Well, we can actually break it down. We, we, we got the stats for that too. Man Campbell is 418 and one. 418 and one. And Matt Patricia before him, because we could do the math, 1433 and one. But again, 36 and 28 for Jim Caldwell. And if you want to even go before Jim Caldwell, because this is the thing, this was a, a mid sandwich. You had the bread at the beginning of Jim Schwartz and the combination of Jim Marinelli, Steve Mariucci and Morningweg. Oh, Morningweg, so bad. They were 31 and 97, 31 and 97 for that triumphant. Then they went and got Jim Schwartz, who was highly thought of in most front offices. 29 and 51. Okay, so 31 and 97, followed by 29 and 51. Then you sneak in there with Jim Caldwell for three seasons, 2014 to 2017, 36 and 28. You get him out of there for reasons we don't know. And you follow that up with 14, 33 and 1 with your man's Matt Patricia. Him with the pencil in his ear. And then you follow that up with Man Campbell, who is 4-18-1, yet everyone called him a star after hard knocks this preseason. Make it make sense. The Detroit Lions will always find a way to Lion. And let's move on to the thing of the statue. The bluest of all blue check boys, Adam Schefter, reported that the Lions are going to unveil a statue of Barry Sanders outside Ford Field. And while it's long overdue, obviously Barry Sanders, arguably the greatest running back of all time, certainly of my generation, he's the greatest of, of my era anyway. If you're an 80s slash 90s baby, it's Barry Sanders, and then there's another tier of everybody else. But in regards to, it made me think, and it made others on social media think, well, who else because the Lions are such an inept franchise, right? It's literally Barry Sanders and one other guy, Megatron. Does Megatron deserve a statue? He's a Hall of Famer as well, just like Barry Sanders. He was transcendent at his position, just like Barry Sanders. And he retired early because the franchise is inept, just like Barry Sanders. So Megatron, <laughs> does Calvin Johnson deserve a statue outside Ford Field along with Barry Sanders? And here's the real question. If they do give him a statue, if they say, hey, Megatron, we want to break bread with you and figure out, can we do this? Should we do this? If you're Calvin Johnson, do you want the statue outside Ford Field? Or do you just want your money back that you had to pay back after you retired? <laughs> I mean, I want my bread. If I'm Megatron, run me my money. On last week's episode, I talked about how there were teams that are just a wide receiver away. 
And the Chiefs must have been listening because they went out there and they hit up the G-Man about your man's Tony, who was making love to that bench marinating over there for a minute. So they go get a guy that has the skill set and the talent to be a number one. We're not sure if he's actually number one, but at least they're trying. They're trying to get someone in who could take the top off of the defense like Tyreek Hill used to do. But that whole conversation and some of the comments I got about that conversation made me really lock in yesterday on how number one receivers were doing around the league. And here's how that worked out. And I, yep, going to go to the phone. So A.J. Brown scored three touchdowns. Bonafide number one receiver. Uh, D-Hop, fresh off his PED suspension. And no one's really talking about that too much. But Nuck came back and he had 12 catches on 13 targets. Okay, True number one receiver shit. And then, as I mentioned, Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill put up 195 total yards from scrimmage. Okay, and that's just a small sample size. Like even DJ Moore, and I'll get to the whole DJ Moore thing and the penalty that was called to him because part of me really thinks that was a Basura call. DJ Moore was making a clutch TD catch, and it was a bomb. It was a bomb that PJ Walker to. Let, let's just go ahead and get to the PJ Walker thing. So, PJ Walker was out here, and if you had the displeasure of watching the Falcons and the Panthers, the Panthers' offense was putrid. They could run the ball a little bit with uh, Freeman, but in regards to the passing game, P.J. Walker was looking very pedestrian. He was like coming back to earth after having that you know game the week before of beating Tom Brady and looking good, and they traded McCaffrey, they traded Robbie Anderson, and he was able to shine, and it looked like he was taking a step back. But when you have a number one receiver like D.J. Moore, you're always in the game, and that's why you have to have a number one receiver. But so the passing offense was looking real putrid, was looking flabby and sick. And P.J. Walker just threw up a Hail Mary. It was D.J. Moore and two dudes in the Falcons secondary all vying for the rock. And D.J. Moore went up and got the rock and got the touchdown that we thought was going to be a game with a touchdown. And if you would have watched the game, there was a moment of frustration earlier in the game where D.J. Moore slammed his helmet down out of frustration. He was mad things weren't going his way. He wasn't getting the targets that he probably thought he should have been getting. It was a bad game up until that point for the Carolina Panthers passing game. But he pulled a rabbit out of the hat. He goes down the field. He basically just does a nine route, just streaks. He basically was running one sprint, and the Falcons' DBs didn't take him seriously. Or maybe they thought P.J. Walker didn't have the arm strength to get it that far down the field. This is like a, like a 65-yard bomb we're talking about. And P.J. Walker airs it out. And now all of a sudden, DJ Moore's got to run and catch up because the ball's coming and the game is on the line. And your number one receiver, your star guy that is also has been in trade talks, but the Panthers have said they're not going to move him as of right now. And he goes up and he makes the catch and he catches the ball in all that frustration. The frustration of this entire year, suspect quarterback play, whether it's from Baker Mayfield to now you're trying to figure out the experiment of the XFL legend and PJ Walker. You have C-Mac, Christian McCaffrey flipped, Robbie Anderson complained his way out. It's been all bad by and large for the Carolina Panthers, despite the fact that this game with the Falcons was fourth division lead in the NFC South. And DJ Moore catches that ball, holds on to it. It's a catch. They put the arms up. It's touchdown. And he lets all his expression out, lets all his frustration out, takes off his helmet, Talks his shit in that dome with a bunch of, you know, Falcons fans now now silent. They were rowdy the whole damn game. It was a very electric game. It was a, it was a trash game to watch. 
But from the sounds of, you know, I was coming through my surround system, it sounded like that, that arena was going, what was, that stadium was up. It was up, up in that stadium in the ATL yesterday. And they thought they had that dub. And DJ Moore snatched, snatched that victory. DJ Moore snatched that victory from the claws of defeat. So he wanted to take his helmet off and let that dome know. Let that fan base know he's him. And what was DJ Moore's reward for showing that he's him? A penalty. A goddamn penalty that pushed him 15 yards back and the kicker can't kick the extra point. They go into overtime. The kicker mixes, misses another field goal and the Panthers lose to the Falcons. All of that would have changed if the, if the rest would have kept their flag in their pocket. DJ Moore should not have been penalized in that spot. His emotions got the best of him. The emotions got the most of me. I'm watching the game on Red Zone and I yelled out, oh shit. I couldn't believe that PJ Walker, who was having a trash game, DJ Moore, who was having an ineffective game, was so frustrated early that he slammed his helmet down prior in the game because he was so frustrated at either his quarterback's performance or the fact that he just wasn't getting targets. And they snatched a victory from the claws of defeat, potentially. And he wanted to let the world know and let that stadium know and let that Falcon fan base know that he is indeed him. And he gets a flag for it. He gets a flag for it. It boggles my mind the hypocrisy of the NFL, the no fun league. I know that's an old thing, but it still rings true to this day. Yesterday was just a, yet another reminder of the no fun league. As far as they have come, I mean, shit, you had the, uh, the, the Eagles were doing the electric slide in the end zone yesterday. So as much as they have allowed certain things, other things, DJ Moore's reaction is the type of reaction most of us would have had. Most of us who have tried to play the game of football, if you have a game-winning touchdown of any sort, you're going to lose your mind because of that ferocity, because of that tenacity, because of that intensity to play this game of football. The same thing that they want all these players to be. When from, from peewee league on up, they keep trying to instill in you the religion that is football, the spirituality that is football, the toughness that is required, mental and otherwise, to play this game of football. They keep trying to instill it in these players. They ask them to play when they're hurt. They ask them to play when they're going through mental illness. They ask them to play when they're in inebriated. So we want these players to care. You know the cliches, you got to give 110%. The best ability is availability. All these ridiculous sports cliches that mean nothing. Nothing. Tom Brady was out there partying up, turning up at Bob Kraft's wedding and flew in the day before a game. So all that stuff about hard work, dedication, you have to apply yourself, first one in, last one out. Bullshit. It's selective discipline. What DJ Moore did was what any of us would have done in that moment. You're having a trash game with a potentially a trash QB. He throws up a Hail Mary. You just so happen to catch that Hail Mary and you lose your shit and go crazy because we just stole a W on the road. So yeah, I'm the number one receiver. Teams are trying to trade for me. My team who wants to tank is trying to go is hemming and hawing about whether they want to get rid of me. So yeah, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to release all this frustration out on the field right now. I am exuberant. 
My teammates are running, jumping on me. The, the crowd is silent. The few fans that made the ride from Carolina to the A are going crazy. I'm trying to celebrate. So I take my helmet off, get some shine, flag. What a ridiculous move by the refs there. You don't want players to be all about the money. You don't want them to loaf. You don't want them to take plays off. You want them to stay engaged. You want them to live, eat, sleep, football. DJ Moore has shown that he's one of those. Bonafide number one receiver, a potential franchise receiver. A guy that is wanted around this league. And he pulls a rabbit out of a hat on the road. A division game. A game that could very well with the demise, the apparent demise of the Tampa Bay Bucks. That game could swing the balance in terms of the division champion. We win that game. Potentially win that game. Are setting ourselves up to win that game. A game we had no business to win. And you throw a flag. Because I took my helmet off. Because I'm celebrating with my teammates that holy shit we just stole one. Now you can make the extra point harder. The kicker who's not the greatest kicker in the world blows the kick. We go to overtime. He blows another kick. And now I go home with an L and the reporters got their iPhones in my face asking me, why did I take my helmet off? I took my helmet off because we shouldn't have won this game in the first place. Is Todd Bowles going to be the scapegoat for your man's Tom Brady TB12? That's certainly what it's looking like. The Bucks fall down again on Thursday night to the Ravens and... The defense didn't look good. Devin White was called out for loafing on the field by Todd Bowles, says it's inexcusable. Meanwhile, the GOAT, or y'all GOAT, is out here looking basura. He's looking mid. Is it time? Have we finally reached the time? 45 years old, fresh off a divorce. We're going to have all these things that are being pushed into the spotlight to shoot Tom Brady Bale. I'm here to tell you, Tom Brady's done. Low key, he's been done. The move to Tampa has elongated his career because he went somewhere that had a myriad of weapons and he could get his man's Gronk to pull up and he could have control or at least a semblance of control, something he was never going to get in New England. But when it comes right down to it, off the offseason that he's had, because let's not forget all the nonsense that went on this offseason just in regards to Brady. So... He retires or allegedly he was telling the Tampa Bay Bucks and their fans goodbye. But because the bluest of ball blue check boys, Adam Schefter jumped out the window and had to be first ran out there and said, he's retiring from the game of football. Now Brady had to remix it and say, I, yeah, I guess I am walking away completely. When we now know the move was that he was going to retire from the Bucks then go wait a few weeks or a few months, go be the VP or some sort of have a front office administrative position with the Miami Dolphins, only to then ultimately unretire, come back, and then play for the Miami Dolphins. We know that there's reporting that's been done on it. That's a fact. Okay, but I'll throw in the allegedly just in case. But there's been enough reporting by credible people that I know that I'm like, nope. That shit was really happening. So that was all under the radar. So he goes home and tells Giselle, all right, I'm done. Now, why he didn't tell Giselle, this is all a smoke screen. I'm really trying to go down to South Beach and keep playing. I don't know. That's between them and they're now divorcing. 
But the fact of the matter is, is that all of that this offseason, the scheme that he cooked up with Steven Ross in the Miami Dolphins front office, all of that got blown up in his face thanks to the Brian Flores lawsuit, right? That's still pending, by the way, as well as the John Gruden one. And he's really trying to fight hard on the low, but no one's talking about it, but it's okay. We'll get there when we need to get there. But when it comes down to Tom Brady, his mindset was to never come back to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Do you think he knew that they were going to go get Tyreek Hill? Can you imagine how great he would look if you slide him into what Tua has right now? He would have no problems finding Gusecki. Sometimes the Dolphins and the whole Mike McDaniels thing, they don't know how to find Gusecki. I'm telling you who wouldn't have a hard time finding Gusecki, and that's Tom Brady. Now remember, it was supposed to be a package deal. It was supposed to be Tom Brady and Sean Payton pulling up to South Beach. So imagine if they would have had Tyreek Hill, Waddle, Gusecki. I'm sure they would have found some sort of running back from hell. Maybe Fournette finds his way down to South Beach. Tom Brady with that offense, they wouldn't be looking so mid right now. Because as great as Mike Evans is and Chris Godwin is, that ain't no Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. It's not. And they, even if it was, whether it was Gronk or Gusecki, that would have been a problem, right? Like problem in a good way. So the Bucks were not supposed to have Tom Brady this year. So when people are like, well, I don't know, this offense doesn't look good. It's because Tom Brady had no intentions of being in Tampa Bay this year. Absolutely none. That man was going to be there. That man had no, no reservations. He was out of Raymond James. He was done with it. He had to spin the block and go back to Raymond James because the bluest of all blue check boys had to jump out the window and be first because that's what his job is paying him to be. No matter what it is, jump out there and be first. So now that the, the news has been tainted, Tom Brady goes along with it just to keep up appearances because he can't tell the real scheme of the collusion that's going on behind the scenes that the Dolphins would eventually be fine draft picks for. So now this man was not supposed to be there. Now he has to go back there and play. At least he was able to get Bruce Arians up out of there, but now he's got Todd Bowles. And I'm not saying Todd Bowles is bad at his job, but I haven't seen too many examples of him being good at his job. So what do you do now if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? TB12, who, is, has, who has medicine and physical treatment administered by a doctor that is not legally a doctor. He sells us on this TB12 formula and avocado ice cream. Well, we know it could be quite possibly something else, allegedly. We're not going to forget the MAGA hat in the locker. We're not going to forget him hanging out with DeSantis. We're not going to forget the fact that him and Belichick were all pen pals with Trump. Yet here we are. He's y'all goat. We got to shoot him all the bail in the world for what? This man is 45 years old. He gave up on a Brazilian supermodel and the semblance of having a family to go out here and throw one touchdown a game. He's had one game with multiple touchdowns this year. He has been the definition of mid. Mid. You can legitimately say right now, would you rather have the GOAT, the alleged GOAT, Tom Brady or Geno Smith? You can have that discussion and not be laughed out the room. Talk to me about his success a few years ago. 
He was younger and his weapons were younger. And he had Gronk. He's got no Gronk. Mike Evans is beat up. Chris Godwin is always coming off the injured list. And Fournette is a grown man that has been the size of a grown man since he was five years old. That wear and tear will eventually catch up with him. So go ahead and sell me on the Bucks if you want. The defense has had players leave over the last few years. The young core is still there, but are they as good as they used to be? Devin White is a one of one. Is his mind focused? We don't know. I'm not even going to pretend to know. Clearly something is not right in Tampa. And is it because TB12 was clearly going to abandon that franchise and leave it for dead? He disappears for 10 days during training camp. Pulls up. Was that preseason or training camp? Then he has the ongoing stuff with Giselle doing a whole spread. And what was it? L or Vogue magazine airing out the whole thing of, yo, I moved to Boston for you, bruh. Don't question my commitment to this marriage and this relationship. I am from Brazil. I decided to go to Boston because of you. Don't question whether I'm committed to what we have here. Are you committed? Because you don't ever want to be home. You don't ever want to be home. And even if he did retire, then he goes and he signs that broadcasting contract. That's a 10-year commitment. This man just doesn't want to be home. Brazilian supermodel at home and he just doesn't want to be there. But is his mid play actually going to come up for discussion? Or are we just going to keep cloaking it in? Well, Todd Bowles, this is Todd Bowles. He was a former Jets coach. He was trash as a Jets coach, but maybe that was just because he was the Jets coach. He's been a good DC. Maybe now he gets a chance to show that he actually can't coach. All of that to me is irrelevant because the whole Bucks thing was built. It's no longer built that because Brady doesn't want to be there. But the whole Bucks thing was built around. We need to surround Tom with as much help because this is an old ass man that's moving around and he can't move around. He can't move up in the pocket even now at this point. We need to surround this man with as much help as possible. As much help as possible. Now that doesn't seem to be the case no more. Are the Bucks going to be active in the trade market? Do they even have anything that people want outside of picks? And who can they go get? Do they go try to go get Odell? I don't know. I don't know. The Chiefs clearly made their plans and went to go get Tony as receiver. So I don't think they're, they're in the Odell stuff no more. And the Rams with Allen Robinson slowly coming along, Van Jefferson coming back off injury, maybe they don't need Odell. Odell's going to play somewhere. I don't think he wastes his time going back to Green Bay, especially after the accident to go to special teams, especially after the way that the, the Packers looked last night against the Bills. I wouldn't want no parts of that if I'm Odell. I'm not going to Green Bay, Wisconsin if I'm Odell, if I don't have to, especially in the winter. He's going to be ready in December. The last place I ever want to pick up my family and move to is Green Bay, Wisconsin. So I don't know. Maybe if you're Odell, you go down to Florida. Maybe go to Tampa Bay. See if you can rescue Tom and drag his ass along, but if they keep losing games and the Falcons and the Panthers keep winning games, is this all for naught? Is this the sad swan song for your man's TB12 who's out here selling you on products? He's going out here signing Deion's son to NIL deals. He's out here clearly trying to brand himself outside the game of football, yet he doesn't want to leave the game of football. You know what it is. 
I could have came in here and talked about that fraud, uh, rigged fight, Jake Paul and Anderson Silva, but I won't waste y'all time with that because, I mean, we know we know what type of time it is over there. Uh, but I appreciate y'all for listening. Weekly Pods, this was episode 242 of the The Cindy Podcast. Episode 243 next week. As always, keep me in the loop. Hit me up on all the socials. I'll put those at the bottom of the screen here for those watching on YouTube. If you're not watching on YouTube and you're listening on the podcast, it'll be in the podcast description. You know what it is, man. Grinding, putting out this content for y'all. Just crossed 10,000 views in total on YouTube. So salute to y'all if you're checking it out. If you haven't checked out the content on YouTube, again, that link is in the podcast description. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, comment, like, all that good stuff. And I'll holler at you next week. Episode 242 of the The Sam D Podcast. I'm The Sam D. I'm out.